Welcome to the Heathen History Podcast, where we normally are reading horrible things so you don't have to, but this week it's special and different because we are live from Frith Forge 2020. I'm Lauren. And I'm Ben. And we are here talking with Esteban Sevilla. And the reason that we have him here is he is probably the person that is the most knowledgeable about a very very kind of niche subject and that is the history of heathenry in costa rica yes there is heathenry in costa rica don't sound so surprised my midwest friends so welcome esteban if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself well maybe the basic things you know (laughs) i'm 33 years old i started 10 11 years ago to practice heathenry so i've been doing this for quite a while messed up a few times as well so and well, I don't know what else I can say about me. I'm a passionate about the Norse culture, as we all are, and also someone who is passionate about environmental sciences. So I think I also have a, a connection to, to nature on, on this end, especially on my career. That is awesome. So we're going to talk a bit about your group. And now, was your group the first group in Costa Rica? We like to think... We were the first serious group that got organized. I knew there were other heathens before me, and there were people who were a little bit more experienced than I was. But when we started our kindred, it was the first one that came out officially. Like We decided to go all out on the internet. So before that, I didn't see anybody. Some people had some claims that they had been practicing before us, but they just came out with a one-man kindred, and then we saw the people joining after that. So I really think we were the first ones. And that would have been back in 2010 that Kindred Immersal was organized. Is that correct? Yes, that was back in 2010. We, I used to have like a bunch of friends and colleagues that were interested into the Norse myths, mostly because of, you know, Viking metal and things like that those but they started to get interested and they were also on several blogs and we were discussing the myths and traditions and we were reading maybe the Eddas in several meetings we had right so that's how it pretty much started like a discussion group between friends and then in 2010 I remember somebody we used to attend like a park in the middle of San Jose and I, I was really young, so I was just hanging out with people. And then in, during the nights, we went out drinking. And I remember that one of those guys was kind of an atheist, but he was very critical of the fact that we actually liked Norse mythology and the religion and everything. And he said, like, oh, if you guys are also through or heathens, why don't you get organized? So I was, I was like, are you mocking me? But yeah, I knew he was mocking me, definitely. But I told him, you know, that's actually a good idea. And somebody mocking us has led to this. I mean, like, look at it. I remember that guy always reminding me, saying, oh, I'm the trigger of all this. You owe all this to me because I asked you. And I said, like, yeah, but that's about it. You gave me an idea and I, I developed it. So we were the first group officially, like, practicing and that we decided to start doing rituals. Our first blood was a total failure. All of our tools were just falling apart during the ritual and it was more hilarious than anything else. But 
I think that's the way it started. We uh, we decided to meet one day at a friend's house and to speak about the subject. And I told them I have an idea. Some of them were like, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to do anything. Or people are just not going to commit. He had a point. People didn't commit. I mean, like the people that it was at the beginning, I don't see anybody anymore. I mean, like at all. That's how it kind of goes for every group. I mean, Ben, I don't want to think about some of our early rituals that we did. Yeah, some of them ended up kind of interestingly. <laughs> Before we go any further, I've got to ask something very important. What are your favorite Viking metal bands? Wow. I'm definitely not going to say a Monomarth because it's a little bit overused. Mm-hmm. But definitely they have good songs. I mean, like I can enjoy and headbang to their music. But metal bands, metal bands. Oh, I've been having so many issues with metal lately. I don't know. I, I think I would like to say I like Manowar a lot, but then it turned out to be quite toxic in the image. But I love Manowar still. I love their sound and everything and some of their songs. But I'm going to say Rebellion. Rebellion, they, okay. they put out a record, a couple of records. One, I think it was Miklagard, and there was another one about one of the sagas and i have to find it impressive it's amazing the way they actually play traditional german heavy metal and they don't sound specifically like black metal i have distanced a lot myself from black metal all right well i feel this is very important to establish it at the beginning it ties into the question i had which is like what is that what got you then to heathenry like what what is like your first spark of interest in the Norse gods or heathenry that got you to where you are now? Unlike my friends, I started because of Satanism. People don't know, but I used to be a Lavehian Satanist. I left Christianity when I was around 15 years old. I got tired. I questioned it. I questioned myself. I questioned people's morality around it in a conservative country And I used to love the fact that it was so respectful. When you read the Satanic Bible from LaVey, you get to understand that you have limits and that's people's freedoms. I think that's what got me into human rights as well. So it's kind of bizarre that I got my start on, on human rights through Satanism. But there was not that spiritual part. I mean, like, it wasn't that that appealing Ideologically, I still have a lot of sympathies to both the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan because I like him. I mean, like, they're nice guys. At least those two groups, they're, like, super cool guys. But I don't know, that missing part of, of connection, of doing something that fills my spirit, was completely absent because I don't participate, even though I study it, but I don't participate in magic rituals such as the ones that we get to see on, on the Levian path. But one day I was studying symbolism and other stuff, and I bumped into the Hammer of Thor. So it came with the whole story about Thor uh, losing his hammer and then trying to recover it. And I found it funny, right? It's a funny story. And then I started reading more about Thor in general, and then... I got into other gods and I started to understand that there was uh, an active religion about it, that there was people practicing it. Well, at that time, the internet as a source for heathenry was quite sketchy, right? 
the blogs and all that kind of stuff. If you get a Valknut tattooed, you're going to die and stuff like that, right? <laughs> so, but that's how I, it started. I, I found the Hammer of Thor studying satanic symbolism. I bumped into it. So I felt the connection seeing the gods. They are part of nature. They symbolize a part of nature. And I feel connected to that. Well, you're not the first heathen to have come to heathenry by way of, of Satanism. Ben and I hung out with the Satanists last year, year before last, when they came and brought their giant statue to Arkansas. Mm -hmm. oh, that's beautiful. It was kind of fun watching the reaction to um, Fomet just outside the Arkansas state capitol. People very excited about it. Yes, it, it's quite lovely. So. Mm -hmm. I said your path then is not terribly unusual, but about when was that that you kind of said, hey, I think I'm a heathen? I think after they asked me, I never questioned it. I think it was the day that we, after that question where we met at a friend's house. So we were discussing things in his backyard. And I said, like, I don't know. I've been feeling connected to this thing for quite a while. I've been studying it and I've been trying to do my own rituals alone and some other things like that. And, uh, and I said, like, we definitely have to start this. And I think it started at the moment that I decided to actually start a movement or start a group or whatever. So because I wasn't conscious that I was already practicing. But at the moment when I said, like, we're heathens or we're also through or whatever was that day. Because before that, I just took it for granted. I didn't do it consciously. No, that kind of reminds me of a um, classic old song that, you know, some days you just suddenly realize that, I think I'm a heathen. I feel the gods and ancestors all around. I think I'm a heathen. The drinking of the mead is the only sound. What do you think? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Mm -hmm. I'm back at the mall. It's the 80s. I need really big bangs. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. I love this song. <laughs> so how many, about when you guys first started Kindred Imbecile, how many people did you have? Around 10 people. The first meeting was like six people besides me. So we were like seven and then we grew to 10 people. And suddenly the next year we were around 20. Right. And obviously most of that people didn't stay with us. Some for a long time, some didn't. By the time we got the interview for for the first interview with the trust, it was around twenty, twenty-five people that attended the first blow. So that was like in two thousand and eleven when we got interviewed. And that was our first successful bloat, and that was because Victoria Claire helped us. She gave us a ritual and, and she guided us through that. And we decided not to make them mistakes from the first ritual we attempted somewhere else. Yeah, I remember seeing there were articles in uh, Iduna about our steerswoman at the time, Victoria Clare, making contact with you and then actually going down there. And I know she interviewed you, led some rituals, brought you some books. So, yeah, we've known you were down there for. Uh, maybe 10 years now. Yeah. Well, I, I feel old already. It's like 10 this and so many things have changed and remembering my beginnings and looking at my youthful face back then. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So I know that because you guys have not just made like heathen news, but you guys have actually made international news with your pagan group there with the Pagan Alliance of Costa Rica. So, and that I believe started according to my notes in 2012. Yeah, that actually started in 2012. We're no longer with them mostly because we, we had a problem on, on boundaries. So there was a thing about, we reached the point where we were growing so much. And I think you can find the pictures of the first, uh, the Alliance Festival. So there used to be like a Roman and Wiccan and Celtic group. The thing is that people were not paying attention to them at all. And they were only paying attention to us. And that has sparked, I don't know, some problems. And I don't know why. I mean, like, it started to become, it was an em emotional burden. Because people said like, oh, we want some other leader from your group to represent Kindred Irminsul. And I said, like, well, there's only one leader at the moment. Uh, there's nobody else. Nobody has been looking to take. And most of the other kindreds uh, that are split from kindred Irminsul at the beginning, they have faded away. So there's nothing I can do for you. I mean, like, only I can represent you. And they started to, I don't know, block us from participating. And I decided to just leave because I thought it was the best thing. I, I really wanted to have uh, interfaith as we were having back then, but it didn't work out. I'm not sure if it was just leadership or if it was people just being interested in something else, especially because back then in 2012, I think Vikings was making its way. So I think it was becoming quite popular at the oh, time. You mean that infomercial for Ben's book? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because Ben wrote a translation of the saga that the show Vikings is based on that came out not very long before the show started airing. And oh boy, did that, that was some free advertising on a level that I can't even begin to, be, to talk about. To be fair, I have no idea if the showrunners read my translation and decided it would make a great series. Maybe they did and maybe they didn't. But I, I like to pretend that we had, you know, several years of infomercials for my book. It flatters my ego, I suppose. So then you guys have also started kind of an association within Costa Rica or other heathens. Uh, can you talk about that? Yes. Okay. So, for example, Kindred Irminsul was disbanded, mostly because we didn't see this kind of thing of brotherhood, kindred, working out. We didn't see the, the kindred model working out for Costa Rica. And it was demonstrated over the years that these groups didn't survive. So what we decided is that we created a more pyramidal system because some people don't want to work on it. I mean, like some people want to learn, some people want to participate and they, but they don't want to engage in the active part of the community of reaching, teaching, you know. So we, we decided that maybe a formal association would also give us, it will look more serious towards the state in case if we wanted to register or do our practices and also in the name, because if it sounds like a cult, people are going to see it like a cult as well. So, And, well, you know, we were quite young as well, so we made a bunch of mistakes with the kindreds. Uh, most of the people are just from Generation X, Generation, I don't know, Millennials, and just a tiny little bit of Gen X. 
I mean, people are quite young in Costa Rica on the heathen side. But we wanted more seriousness and a bit more formality. So when people got in, actually saw formality. So we we decided to create a a board, right? We created a board and we created uh, the concept of the association. We're still gathering money to actually just register. And we already have the lawyer. We already have everything ready, but there's no sense in doing it during the COVID, right? It's not going to work and we're not going to get rights to gather or anything. So we have decided to postpone it again for the third time until we have a better chance in the real world with all this disease being spread. Now, looking kind of at that a little more, you guys, in addition, have also organized the Costa Rican Pagan Pride Day since 2013. We used to as well. Used to? Yeah, not anymore. We did the first one. But there used to be several conflicts of several organizations that were other pagan organizations that didn't have heathenry. So they had other movements like Celtism and um, Wicca and so on, right? And the problem is that there was a scandal with the Pagan Federation. So there was a lot of people trying to control and take power of these foreign entities, and they wanted to use it as a mean to propagate their egos. So we decided that even though we were giving, after this organization got in trouble, we were given the Pagan Pride Day to the Pagan Alliance specifically, we abandoned the Pagan Pride and we decided to go full national. Like it's our own idea, our own complete version. And I can say there was around 400 people coming in and out from that alliance festival, which was in turn done instead of the of the pagan pride. That's pretty amazing because Costa Rica's population is not huge. I mean, it's I believe the numbers I pulled up were that essentially the population is what about four million? Yeah. And you're talking about registering and something that I found very interesting and I was when I was kind of researching into this, you know, you have a a minority religious group that's not just, you know, the minority religion. You also are in a country that has an officially declared religion. And as far as I can see, that makes it much harder to get recognized as a religious faith. So tell me a bit about the challenges that you have faced other than COVID, because we all understand that you have faced across the years as far as trying to become an official organization or to be able to be seen and heard and essentially, you know, not get arrested in the park for being weirdos, which is something I've been threatened with. But that wasn't religious. That was just me being a teenager. But it definitely happened several times. There was a friend of mine who actually wanted to do like a naming ceremony. And we did it in a famous park here in Costa Rica. It's called Monte La Cruz. We reached the place and there was a bunch of people with black t-shirts and heavy metal, you know, paraphernalia in general. But they were scared of us. And when they saw us doing a naming ritual for the baby, (laughs) they called the police. And they said like, oh, these guys are having a satanic ritual and they're doing something wrong. The police came and he said, hey, guys, what are you doing? And we explained 
to the guy, oh, we're a heathen faith, a pagan faith, and we have these religions, and I am sort of the, quote, priest, right? I'm trying to provide the naming ceremony. Okay, but are you drinking? And I said, no, we're doing it with water. We understand the limitations we have here. And he was like, okay, so if you're not drinking alcohol, I don't have any problems. Of course, we were drinking alcohol back in the river, uh, uh, deep into the forest, but not there. <laughs> so he was, <laughs> he, he was like, oh, ah, then I have no issues. Do whatever you got to do. People is free to do whatever they got to do. And police officers, most of them, are really nice about that, but they are still going to check your stuff. It's like, we're going to check you out. We're just going to, they don't, here in Costa Rica, they don't require an order as much as you think they should, but they don't. And um, we were completely open about it. Oh yeah, sure. Check it out. Uh, we have this and this and this, and there's nothing weird or you know, drugs or anything going on here. And they left us alone and they talked to the woman and said, like, they have a right to practice their religion, which was kind of nice, but you still get the people that is going to call the police on you. And also perhaps one of the biggest challenges is the fact that there's power struggles and egos and things like that. That's what hurt the most at the beginning. So people wanted to do things one way. Some people didn't want to, you know, and they decided to split and do a kindred. So I said, like, okay, we can still be friends after that. And we decided to create a, the first society, the also through Society of Costa Rica. And they said, okay, so now we want some of your members. We want your leadership and we want your international contacts. And I said, like, uh, my members, ask them. I mean, like, if they want to live with you, you can always ask them. And um, if you want to talk to the people that are my contacts internationally, then you can do it. And they tried. And some people immediately clashed with them. I don't know if they were rude. I don't know what happened. Some of them didn't even tell me what they were talking about. And they said, like, I just don't like those guys. I only want to talk to you. You're nice. You, you are you. And that was it. So automatically, they got their own doors closed somehow. And I don't know... Uh, they were trying to control everything. They wanted to make our religious association into a cultural association, which has a requirement of four events per year publicly. I don't have time for that. And um, they said, like, we want this done the way we say it, but we want you to do it. And I said, like, you do realize cultural associations do pay taxes and not religious associations. And we don't have the money for taxes. We have the money to register and everything. But that moment came and we split again and I was alone again. And, you know, it was several attempts of doing that several times. And it was that problem that people wanted so much what we were doing, but they were not doing anything to achieve it. You know, it, everything that you say sounds so familiar just because, you know, I think just about everyone who's been in heathenry in the United States and who's tried to organize kindreds and groups and things like that has had to deal with, you know, the same human problems that you'd find anywhere in the world with egos and, you know, interpersonal politics and people that don't fit in. I think that much is pretty universal. So is getting the police called on you because this is something that some of the old, well, not, necessarily old, but people who've been in the troth for a long time might remember 
we had a gathering where two members were getting married. And as part of the ceremony, someone blew a cow horn and apparently wasn't very good at it. And it didn't sound very nice. And so just as the ceremony is ending, a couple of police cars come racing up at full speed because someone had heard the sound and called the police claiming that we were sacrificing a goat. (laughs) And it took, I mean, everyone had visions of we were all going to get arrested. You know, they're looking around for the goat. They're asking to search all of our cabins. And, you know, no one had sacrificed a goat, but some people did have alcohol and some people did have swords and things like that. You know, the situation could have been bad, but somehow we managed to defuse what could have been a bad situation. So, yeah, a number of groups here have had to deal with encounters from the police when people who don't understand what we're doing get upset. So, Ben, what you're saying is there was no goat, but people were having a cow? Um. Very good. Very good. Yes, exactly. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so for those of you at home, just imagine it's like this constantly in our kindred. Mm-hmm. So. Although we, our kindred has yet to have the cops called on it, as far as I know. No, but that we did have the cops called on us at one of the general pagan things here that I went to. Okay. Fortunately, they showed up, realized it was just a bunch of weirdos hanging around a pavilion and left. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of touch back in here because I know that in some of the articles that have been written, there have been problems with people facing more serious types of discrimination because of the fact that, you know, I believe the numbers were basically 52% of the country identifies as Catholic as of last year and 25% as evangelical. So what are some of the issues that you guys have faced over the past 10 years? We have seen people getting kicked out of their homes. Oh, like, for example, young people. There was a former girlfriend from that time who her mother would just manipulate her in such a way. She was such a Catholic, an extreme Catholic, and she was also quite a violent person. And she was afraid of losing her daughter forever with a heath and, and, you know, all sorts. And I remember she was kicked out. So I had to actually try and find out a way to pay her apartment and everything. I mean, like, she also had to leave her home because if she stayed, she had to take certain conditions. So I think that qualifies as getting kicked out of your home when, oh, you leave or you stop doing this. So she decided not stop, right? And I remember it it was quite a painful situation seeing her like, oh, that's not a real religion. He's making up all those words. And she started to throw glass like faces into the ground and walking on top of it and saying, look at what you're doing to me and things like that. And it can get quite violent. There are some families where... And especially in Latin America, this is just yelling at, you know, chanclas all over the way. I mean, sandals, right? (laughs) And that's how we call it. But uh, and Latin American families can be quite intense, emotionally speaking. They, they, They have their feelings really exposed and yelling is a way of, you know, so I've seen people who are afraid of talking to their parents about their activities 
to the point where they cannot post anything on Facebook that can lead to believing something right about them or, or about their faith. So some people actually have to hide and not take photos sometimes. Not, not right now. We're not facing those issues. We had a, a problem with one of our African-American uh, members. His family is quite evangelical. And he said, like, no, this is the tradition of our family. This is what we do. This is how we roll. And his father was a pastor. So I think I saw how he decided to retreat. No, I have to go back to my family. I have to respect my family's wishes. So we have seen that. People just condemning the fact that you're no longer a Christian or that you have decided for a long time not to believe in it and, and, and choose a different path. I think a lot of us can empathize with that, especially I know I can having grown up evangelical and with parents who are still actively evangelical. I can definitely empathize that. And it is definitely very hard when you kind of are in opposition. And I imagine in Latin American cultures where families are much closer, that it can only be harder. Because if I upset my parents, they're two hours away. Ain't coming over right now. I make no promises about tomorrow, but so I, I can understand that. So I know that you said your group is primarily young or was. You guys have kind of grown up together in a way. Um, yeah. Starting out with a group of people so young, how has that shaped your association? How has that shaped heathenry in general in Costa Rica? <sighs> Well, definitely when you talk to people from the Gen X and boomers, you're going to find like a completely different mindset. And it's quite general because for the people from the Gen X, they grew in a country and as well as the boomers, they grew in a country where you were not registered unless you were baptized. So you didn't have an ID number. You didn't have a social security unless you were baptized. So, for example, we have mandatory IDs that we have to carry. Back then, if you didn't register as Catholic, you weren't, I mean, like, my birth certificate is also my baptism, right? So it used to be quite curious because back then in the 80s, people were all Catholic. And if you were a Mormon, if you were an evangelical, if you were a Jehovah's Witness, you were a cult. And there was just a few hundred. So it was 90, 90 something percent of, of Catholics. Now it has receded because people are not practicing and they have decreased their numbers significantly over time, especially over the last 20 years. So people are just like not sympathizing anymore with the old people's uh, religion. So you get to see also metalheads who just resort more to, from those ages, resort more to atheism in general than just Heathenry. So I think heathenry is, it came mostly with the internet. So it appealed to a completely different audience. And that's why we have people who are mostly millennials in general. So, so we see a lot of young people, but we, we don't accept children, underage children without the company of their parents. So mostly because we don't want to deal or thread that path that may be a little bit of how do you call it when you try to convince people into your religion? You know, well, we don't want to. Yeah, proselytizing. Yeah. And that's something we don't want to touch. We don't want to be touching the fact that, oh, yeah, we're a heathen group. If you want to come and we're going to teach you our religion and you're underage. 
Unless their parents come, they can't. Hey, look, other things we all have in common, because that is mm-hmm. the same kind of issue that we've looked at in here, where it's definitely a very similar issue, because being a minority faith and having minors around can lead to very ugly situations, especially if their parents are devoutly religious in a way that conflicts with yours. Yeah, in the 80s, we had the satanic panic. Yeah, and we had these rumors that there was a, um underground cult of Satanists that were kidnapping and abusing children. And they were, you know, brainwashing everybody through backwards messages in all that heavy metal music like Styx and Foreigner and Journey with backwards satanic messages in it. And they were brainwashing your kids through D&D and things like that. And that's mostly faded, although I think it's starting to see a bit of a resurgence. But yeah, there were still people who got, you know, hurt pretty badly by accusations of, you know, occult satanic activity. We actually got a hit by Petty Gore, right? And Al Gore. We we got a hit by them because of what they were saying in public. It right. reached the point in 1994 here in Costa Rica where people were being arrested for wearing metal shirts. I remember being in the kindergarten back then. So I, I used to, yeah. And you'd see metalheads going through the street and then somebody arresting them, throwing them to the ground on the car and just taking them. And they would burn the shirts. They would just take it away from you, send you home shirtless and with a ticket. And then they would burn all that record CDs. They would do public cremations of so many classical records. And I remember that was from our security ministry. I think, I don't know uh, how you call it. It came as a direct order to actually arrest them. And I remember seeing that. I grew up in Arkansas and something you may not be familiar with, but if a lot of people are, I grew up right where the West Memphis three murder and trial happened, where they were all accused of being Satanists because they played D and D and wore metal shirts. So yeah, I have very strong reactions to that because of how much it fundamentally shaped a lot of pagans too in America. And I imagine that there's probably some people who are pagan who still have those memories, even though, like you said, you were in kindergarten, you know, does that kind of stuff still kind of worry you in the back of your mind as you're moving forward with this heathen, you know, religion that the police or the security ministry or whatever could suddenly decide you guys are a threat because you're heathens and cause problems. No, not anymore. I mean, maybe back when we started a little bit, but um, there has been a lot of movement lately on human rights. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Costa Rica has uh, the International Court of Human Rights. Yes. So it's located here. So right now, nobody can do anything and not get into trouble because we are representatives of that. So... (laughs) I think it would give the country like a really, really bad image. And that would definitely bring a lot of... So, for example, in Costa Rica, you cannot do several things through politics because you're going to face oppression from the people. And not from the government, from the people, to be honest with you. And um, so there was the gay marriage, right? So people were like, oh, we shouldn't accept to do that. And the government didn't want to say, like, we support it. 
like we understand the rights. They they wanted to say like we understand the rights and we understand that they should have more rights than what they have now and access to equality, but they didn't actually move it directly through our Congress. They actually let the international court decide. So they had to declare that Costa Rica was not uh, following the the precepts that needed to be followed. So that actually gave like a backdoor to gay marriage. Why? Because in Costa Rica, our constitution recognizes human rights by the definition of the international court. So at the moment that they recognized that Costa Rica was not implementing gay marriage as it was supposed to, it would go straight to the books. So, for example, our justice system said like, well, you know, our justice system is divided into four different types of systems. So the fourth one is the constitutional one. And that one enforces everything that is related to human rights. Or if you think that you were unconstitutionally fired as well, it can also, you can use this power for almost everything. So what they did is that they let people make a lawsuit through the international court that would give the command to our justice system. And the justice system would actually request the Congress to immediately put without hesitation and no right to actually just fight it back. Just do it. Put it in the law. And now we have gay marriage approved. That's something I don't think we could do here in the States. No. Because there would be people, yeah, it would be a thing. Esteban, I had a uh, question for you. We were, you were talking about this uh, earlier before we started recording. You were talking about other heathen groups in Latin America. We actually talked this morning with a representative from a group in Mexico, and you were talking about uh, people that you know in Colombia. Just how widespread do you think heathenry is in Latin America? You know, how many groups do you know about? Over 20 groups. Okay. I mean, like, I know there's over 20 groups. We don't deal with all of them, mostly because some of them are not associated with friendly organizations. Right. right? Because it happens that, for example, Chile and Argentina have a huge sympathy for the far right. And, um, because of their history and everything that happened there. And there are some other countries in, well, for example, Mexico is like, Tracy's group is like the biggest one we know of around there. So yeah, I, th- I think it could be like a, over 20 groups or uh, and hundreds of people already practicing or interested in practicing heathenry. So it has grown a lot. I mean, like it's it's going crazy because I remember I knew everyone in this community, and now I'm, I'm I'm even scared to access several groups and just be surprised by what I see. Mm-hmm. And that brings a question then: within Costa Rica, do you see the same rise of far right racist heathenry like we see in other places? Is that is is that prevalent? Mostly from the evangelical side, yes, we see a lot of it. But yeah, there are some groups, but. I don't want to brag about it, but so, sort of we disbanded them somehow. We took away some of their leaders. We kind of reformed some of their leaders. And we have people who were former Nazis, right, or neo-Nazis and things like that. And they said, like, oh, I was so wrong. They don't stand a chance to time. 
mm-hmm. I have noticed that time defeats them on their own. So far right, I don't see it rising so quickly here in Costa Rica because they usually get also humiliated in public. Many people dox them. And it's not me, believe me. I have I have exposed data, but I don't dox them to their families or I don't dox them to their place of work. And somehow they get exposed and they start suffering the problems. I say this with enough carefulness. I saw how that guy that was trying to get into our group that I spoke about previously, he committed suicide several years ago because he didn't have a job. He didn't have his family. People didn't want to talk to him. He was completely set aside right, from society. People recognized him everywhere. He couldn't be in, in San Jose or any other province without being recognized by the neo-Nazi cop. And nobody wanted to give him a job because he was too scandalous. And um, eventually he got cancer and Mm. he decided to end with his life. But he never wanted to change his ways. I tried to speak with him and I said like, hey, we can do this. We can get you to therapy. We can find you something. I can maybe find you something that wants to go pro bono with you and, and you can treat yourself into changing your points of view and exposing yourself as a new person. Because I felt hurt by what happened to him, but he decided to stay in in his ways. So still, we try to give him a chance. Like, you can try to just someone else and try to deal with these demons that you have. But he decided not to, and and he committed suicide later on. So no, it's, it's, it's not a great thing, especially after that. After that, it decreased, it got silenced, people was afraid, people don't want to be exposed as neo-Nazis because they know that some lives have been ruined because somebody doxed them. I agree. There's some comments in the in the chat, and I agree. I think you could probably do a whole talk just on how you guys have effectively de-radicalized people, because mm-hmm. that that is a huge problem, and I think that that's an important tactic that many of us don't have the skills to do. And I personally would love to know more about that. So we are, as we used to say in the old good old Southern Baptist churches, our time is almost gone, which means we have about 10 minutes left. So to our studio audience, if you have questions, please pop them in the Q&A section and uh, we will address those. I did have a couple of more questions for you specifically on just a few things that I am genuinely curious about because of the kind of cultural difference. Now, I know in many countries that have official state religions, the recognition of like registration allows you to do rites of passage. So when you guys get official recognition, will that allow you then to do weddings and those kind of things that are pretty taken for granted when you're, you know, Catholic or part of the majority or recognized religion? We could. Not yet. We but still, what you do? Yeah. We have to use a lawyer to marry people, a notary specifically. And they are not going to allow any association so far. There has been the discussion to actually open something like a ministry, right? For people who want to be able to marry other people. The thing is that the college for lawyers here in Costa Rica don't want to give it in. They don't want to give their business away. 
because that means that if we can skip the lawyer part or the notary part, they're going to get less money. And that is going to be a problem with them because they want to benefit lawyers and they want to benefit the college as well. So, for example, we are able to actually perform a right of marriage. And I don't see it as bad because, well, it moves the economy. So I think that kind of good that, that we're paying people and, you know, just doing all this. But I think we, we're not going to see it anytime soon where we can just go and act as ministry for, you know, like um, uh, marriage. We, we will always need a lawyer present to read everything regarding the law to the people so that they can sign the document. But we can leave that to the end after the ceremony. I mean, like I, I can definitely get married with someone and somebody will direct my marriage and, and then I'm going to talk to the lawyer that same day, you know, aside with a couple of witnesses and just sign the papers and that's it. I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I don't feel so uncomfortable. Of course, it's going to be over a hundred dollars that I have to, to pay the, the notary, but I don't care about that. I see it as I would love to if there was some kind of facilitation for that, but we don't feel so so urgent. People can get married through our tradition and we'll just invite the lawyer, even if they don't like it. Sometimes we have face problems with people. Oh, no, I'm not going to participate on that. And they refuse the service. And now we've, we have one of the lawyers who is a notary and we're getting another notary as one of our members so they can actually do the registration of the of the marriage. So I have a couple of questions for you. The first one is a two-part question. First part is how does your community feel as far as the influence of heathen organizations and stuff from outside of Costa Rica? I see it as I can learn from experience. We have our own stuff. And when we have received a visit from Norwegians, they say, hey, we do a lot of stuff similar to what you do. But there are some few other things. Maybe you could try it. And I said, like, yeah, go ahead and teach me. So we have this thing where we are completely open to practices on other countries. There are some people who are like, oh, no, I don't want Europeans telling me what I should do, right? We've seen people like that in, in other communities, but we are welcoming. I mean, like, any of you guys can come to Costa Rica and we'll take you for a tour and we'll take you for a bloat and we'll blow together and we will design a bloat together and maybe we can split the parts. Why not? I mean, like, that's cultural exchange as well. So we're going to take you for some tourist. I'm a tourist guide almost with, with my friends who come from Norway. So we take them to volcanoes and everything. We try to make your experience not just about heathenry, but also about the country because that's what we are. And Costa Rica is a really exotic country. You get to see volcanoes every hour. I mean, like, if you start driving, you, it takes you one hour to move between volcanoes. So people love it. And we can travel three hours into, you know, thermal waters from volcanic areas. And we can go out, drink and share with people. We're going to eat together. We're going to hire a chef who knows about Nordic cuisine, and we're also going to show you our local cuisine and everything. It's not just going to be about heathenry. that we want to give the full experience to people about being in Costa Rica. So we're definitely open to suggestions, information. If people point out, hey, I think that's kind of wrong. I think I would do it like this. And we're definitely open because we know people have some experience. Once this 
pandemic is over with, I would definitely like to do that. Heck, maybe we could hold uh, Trothmoot down there. I was oh, thinking that welcome. you and I need to go do a live show down there, and then we definitely. can write it off as podcast expenses. Very important for journalism. Yes. Yes. So I have another question for you. Are things in America or Europe or anywhere else where heathenry practices, is this, does it impact the view of heathenry in Costa Rica or is public opinion there primarily based on what you guys are doing locally? No. Most of the times that we have been interviewed, for example, we were interviewed for OC.com. I think it, it, yes. it's a magazine from NBC, if I'm not mistaken, or from a former uh, reported from CNN. But I think when we were interviewed, she asked me just a little bit about racism, like the one that they get in the United States, right? And she asked, like, do you face these issues? I told her just like not so much anymore, but yeah, we used to and we see some isolated problems. And she was not really interested into that because she said, well, it's Latin America. Automatically, she thought maybe they're a little bit more free of that which is essentially sort of true in Costa Rica. We, we don't face that problem that much. And maybe because we automatically connect with people when we put gay flag banners, right? Or pride banners or pride um, supporting things and as well as feminist promotion, right? So for example, we, we put that, obviously that the group, uh, we have a, a specialized group for feminism And people automatically don't don't join. So maybe we don't see them because we push them away before they even try to contact us. But as trying to compare our problems when we asked about it, I don't think they tried to do that most of the times. We, we don't see them like, oh, and what do you think about this uh, thing happening in the United States, like Black Lives Matter? We support them, of course, but they don't ask us because they think that that's not our problem. And... That's sort of a lie. We actually support it and we get angry by what happens in your country. And, and it also happens here. We had somebody put a Southern flag in the African community. Like, it's how can you do that, right? But he was kicked out. <laughs> and um, basically, obviously, we don't see it as intense as you see it in the United States. But we don't, we don't get those questions that often like relating all these problems that heathenry faces also in, in the United States. I think they sort of disregard that because we're Latin Americans. And finally, I have one final question here. I know something that's very prevalent in the U.S. is prison ministry or prison outreach. Is that something that is common in Latin America, in your experience? No. <laughs> no. That would be completely dangerous. You don't want to go to Latin American prisons. I mean, yeah, don't commit any crimes in Costa Rica because you'll end up in, in a hole, literally. It's just awful. The, the way our jail system works is just put people into a wet hole and that's it. Let them rot and become worse when they come out. It's quite dangerous to go there because you see 70 people, 60 people, 50 people divided in three cells. So you don't want to go and have ministry with them and be exposed because there is several disasters have happened. And I don't think anybody at this point have enough experience with that side. We would need actually someone who is already used to work in prisons and we don't have anyone and we don't have heathens in prison. 
So as far as I know, there's no heathen in prison, now that I think about it. So yeah, we're not, we don't have to go either way. And I wouldn't like to go. I, I wouldn't be able to see what happens there. Uh, there's a show on Netflix. I am sure you guys want to check about jails and it will show what the Costa Rican reality is. Yeah. In the United States, racist heathenry started making inroads in prisons as far back as the 1970s. And of course, those of us who oppose racist heathenry, some of us now feel the need to um, you know, try to play catch up because this tradition of racist heathenry has been prevalent in U.S. prisons for at least, uh, what, 40, almost 50 years. But yeah, sounds like it's quite different in Costa Rica. And certainly, if I ever get to visit your beautiful country, I promise not to commit any crimes. Sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, the landscape is quite different. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for being with us today, Esteban. Where can people find you online if we have someone listening in Costa Rica that wants to know more about your group? Oh, uh, you can find me on ASO Yggdrasil. So that is ASO for association with just one S. ASO Yggdrasil, CR dot com. Right. You can find our website there and you can also find us like that on Facebook on our page, which has the same name. All right. And that information is always is going to be in our show notes. Thank you so much. If you want to find us, you can go to heathenhistory.com. That's got links to all our show notes, our social medias, or you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash heathenhistory. Mm -hmm. Help us yeah. out a little bit with the uh, expenses of getting this show professionally edited. Yes, be the editor. Robin is wonderful. Our music, the music, is Happy Viking by Roller Music. And for the Heathen History Podcast, I'm Lauren. And I'm Ben. Wassail, y'all. Yeah.